0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Operation History, a podcast where history is more than what you remember. Tonight, the digital table is three-fourths of the way full with Lauren, Hello, David, well, good evening, everybody, and myself, I am Maria. Unfortunately, Derek couldn't be with us this evening, but we are blazing forward in good spirits. Without further ado, I'm going to hand the mic over to Lauren, who has patiently but enthusiastically awaited tonight's d- topic discussion.
1: Okay, everybody. Let's just get that amazing flute sound just flowing through our brains. Ah, We know the one. We are talking about the RMS Titanic today, everybody. I am so excited. Um, I, so I was that person, you know, in eighth grade, you all, you pick something weird and you just on onto it. Titanic was my thing. Not because of the movie. I didn't see the movie at that point. I was just all in and I really don't know why. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> just this amazing amount of popular culture to come out of. A uh, peace time like tragedy, I guess. I mean, the ship sank; a lot of people died, which we'll talk about. Um, Maria, looks like you have something to say.
0: I was gonna say you kind of. I mean, I'm jump. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but that's one of the things that in my research keep, kept getting highlighted, and it really like dawned, Not dawned on me because obviously I know, but the more I heard it, I kept like putting it in that perspective that like the titanic is one of those disasters that was 100% human error and could have totally been prevented in more than one way and the more i heard it i was like hey, y- yeah yeah 100% so it kind of changed my um kind of changed my perception a little bit here of the stuff going on which we'll we'll get into which you know comes in with my research and what i'm bringing to the table
1: yeah so I kind of want to start off to with a major shout out to another podcast out there. It's called Our Fake History. And he has a three-part Titanic um, series on just called What is the Titanic Myth? And he goes into a lot of the why did it sink, it was the myth surrounding the Titanic. And so while this may be more of a kind of surface level dive for us uh i heavily recommend it um i was i'm that person that if someone does more than one part for a podcast i wait and when he announced it was going to be a three-parter i was like oh my god i have to wait so long so i could just binge it um but i believe his name is sebastian Majors. he's awesome um so going into it, we'll talk about the actual history of the Titanic sinking and the way that I kind of, my vision, I guess, is I really dive, dove into, uh, you know, the hype of this tragedy, um, the pop culture of it. So Titanic was um, a white star line uh, vessel which was actually owned by, um, like, J.P. Morgan and co. Um, And in March of 1909, work began on Titanic in Belfast. The idea was to make this kind of floating luxury cruise line um, so that even if you were in third class, you're having a pretty good time on that ship that was really the main idea um it was to be the largest at the time which is one of the factors that goes into this myth this story of the titanic not only is it gigantic um it was well It was thought to be, especially after it actually happened, it was thought to be unsinkable. So when the ship actually goes down, spoiler alert, the ship sank. Um, They were like, I thought it was supposed to be unsinkable. What is going on? The Titanic, uh, we'll kind of go into this a little bit later, but one of the thoughts was that it crashed. It hit the iceberg it did because it was going so fast to break records as far as my research has showed me this was a luxurious line the white star line was not it was going okay fast it's not like it was taking its sweet time but they weren't trying to break records with speed they were trying to break records with how luxurious and high class it was so in May of 1911, Titanic is launched for the first time. So it's put into the water uh, for the first time, and its maiden voyage leaves from Southampton on April 10th, 1912. On board, there are 2,240 people, both passengers and crew. Uh, by April 15th, Titanic's at the bottom of the ocean. And 1,500 people are in the water. So what happens is it departs from Southampton to go to New York. There's a lot of famous passengers on Titanic, including the owner of Macy's, uh, who is Isadora Strauss. Uh, The director of the White Star Line, um, Jay Ismay, is there. And the shipbuilder, Thomas Andrews, is also on the maiden voyage. So Titanic is going okay sort of kind of <laughs> in a way that things are going fine and then there is a fire in the co- in the um, coal room. So the Titanic voyage actually kind of begins in with a small fire. It also begins with a near miss with a smaller ship. The tit- Titanic's just so huge that it's going and it actually almost hits a, a ship called the SS New York, which is kind of ironic because they're going to New York. So there's this near miss and then there's this fire. So Titanic is at sea for a few days and then at 11.30 30 p.m. on April 15th. 14th 1912 an iceberg is sighted a little bit too late this iceberg hits titanic on its right hand side and at first everyone thinks that it might be okay You know, this ship's supposed to be unsinkable. And the way that the ship is built is that it has multiple bulkheads to be able to fill up with water without the ship actually sinking. The problem with the way that the ship is actually hit is it kind of just pings on the side of the ship. It kind of just scrapes down, almost like, you know, a cat with curtains. It just goes straight down. So more bulkheads are filling with water than is safe to keep the ship afloat. So an hour later, uh, evacuations begin. So they on board have 16 lifeboats and then four collapsible lifeboats. This is not enough for even half of the passengers and crew that are on Titanic. But ironically, Titanic's lifeboat supply actually exceeds the British Board of Trade's requirements. So these days, we look and say, how could they not have enough on board? How could they not have enough lifeboats? And we hear myths of, well, they want to have more, but it would be an eyesore. So that's why they didn't have enough lifeboats. That's not necessarily true. They had even more than what was necessary by law, even though it wasn't enough to save people. Uh, About 52% of people would be able to be carried on those lifeboats, but 1,178 people. And that is if the lifeboats were filled to capacity, which unfortunately we see some of those boats were... Not even half full because people started to panic. The ship starts to go down, panic sets in, and they are trying to just get those lifeboats off of the boat, off the ship, and just get away before um, the ship goes down. So, women and children do go first. We see that uh, kind of um, stereotype. And eventually some men do go on uh, the ship, but some stay behind. Um, many people go down with the ship. A lot of people end up in the water. Um, by 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, Titanic is under the surface of the ocean. And with it goes about... 1,500 people at least. Now, this is not a great place for you to be in April in the Northern Atlantic. Um, The average ocean temperature at that point was uh, 35 degrees Fahrenheit or 2 degrees Celsius. Only a handful of people in the water actually end up being rescued from the water. Um, We see in the movie and I'm sure it happened. They were fearful people in the boats, especially the high class first class people were worried that the lowly people in the water would have monsoon the boat, flip it over and just kind of take over. Next thing you know, you're in the water. So some boats do go back for survivors. Uh, They don't find a whole lot, unfortunately. Um, So it took two hours and 40 minutes between the time that the iceberg was actually hit and the moment that the ship sank. So in two hours and 40 minutes, next thing you know, the vast majority of people who... We're on that ship are no longer here. Uh, There were ships out in the Atlantic, not just Titanic. Uh, There are two ships in particular that come into play here. So when the iceberg is hit, the Morse code exists at this point. So they were sending out maydays to ships in the area. We've had an iceberg, Come and help. You know, we're going to be at the bottom of the Atlantic within who knows how little time. Please hurry and save us. The first ship that is kind of reached out is the California. The second ship that is reached out to and is a little bit further away is the Carpathia. So the California, as the Lord goes, shut off their headsets for the night because Titanic was overloading the system and basically screeching through, begging for help. And the Californians kind of just said, be quiet, you know, like, whatever, you know, to hell with you, shut off for the evening, go to bed. The Carpathia say... We can be there full steam ahead as soon as we possibly can. Uh, The lore goes, and Maria, I know you're going to talk about this, that people blame the California for why so many people die. They say, well, if you just showed up or if you were faster or whatever, then you would more people would have survived. Either way, the Carpathia picks up who they can, they pick up the lifeboats, and they continue on to New York. When they arrive in New York, the news of the Titanic's uh, sinking actually precedes them. So the first associated press actually reports that Titanic was in trouble at 1.20 on April 15th. So as the disaster is happening, Back in New York, they are hearing from a station off of Newfoundland something's going down in the Atlantic, and that unsinkable ship is going down. All they knew at the time was that an iceberg had been hit, lifeboats were in the water, distress the signals were being sent. Um, when the Titanic survivors and the Carpathia show up in New York, there's an extra edition of the Evening World on the street. Uh, They don't know what happened yet, they just hear that something happened, the ship went down. And the headline on that Evening World is, Titanic boilers blew up, breaking her in two after striking Berg. So the way that they see it is, you struck an iceberg and then you exploded, and now who knows what happened next. You know, I actually have some, um, quotes from, um, it's actually a book called The Band Played On, so a lot of people know of The Band, you know, and The Band Played On, it comes from the Titanic because their string quartet played while all this was happening. Um... So, when it first happened, uh, one of the players, Lawrence Beasley, only sensed an increased vibration, quote, nothing more than that, no sound of a crash or anything else, no sense of shock, no jar, that felt like one heavy body meeting another. So, when it first happened, they didn't really, you know, something happened, but who knows what could have could have been, you know? Um... There's one man that was lowered on a lifeboat at 1am and said, quote, all the lifeboats reached the water safely and the ship's band played as the boats were being lowered. The musicians played selections from opera and the latest popular melodies from Europe and America. Only before the final plunge did they change the character of their music. They then played, Near my God to me. We had been in the water for two hours at least. So that is also in the movie. That's also part of pop culture, right? I mean, we hear the band plays on, and it's all in the movies and the books. And there's books about the lives of these musicians that went down with the ship. Um, some people argue over what their last song was. I'm gonna go with Charles William Daniels, who was in the water for two hours and heard near my God to be. <laughs> So once the Carpathia is back in New York and the rumors are mixing with fact and everyone's trying to figure out what's going on, who lives, who dies, they do send rescue missions out to the site. Um, In seven days, they found 306 bodies and 11... uh, I'm sorry. And 116 of them were buried at sea because of lack of identification. Now, over... Like, 1,500 people went to the water that night. They only found 300 of them. And half of those were able to be identified. Uh, The largest percentage of those rescued were from first class at about 62%. Uh, The smallest percentage was from third class, 25%, and crew, 23%. Unfortunately, that's not overly surprising, at least to me just because of back then and you can see it today the value of human lives based off of pure wealth so it's not entirely surprising to me at least that it was first class that mostly got you know home safe
0: uh yeah i'll jump in now Um, So, one of the things that I was going to talk about in the sinking of the Titanic, just because it falls under my wheelhouse, or my supposed wheelhouse, is uh, John Jacob Astor VI. He was the son of William Backhouse Astor and his wife, Caroline. Um, So, he was a first-class member on the Titanic when it sank. He was... I don't I think they say he was the richest passenger on board at the time he was worth 87 million which today would be the equivalent of about 2.4 billion um he actually does not make it out but his wife does and again that's that women and children first in the lifeboats situation um when she is rescued she is rescued with literally all of her jewelry because when the ship was sinking they he literally loaded her up with money and jewelry because i i think he knew that she was going to make it and he wasn't uh it is reported that he and his valet uh or valet i'm sorry excuse me him and his valet uh went down with the ship um so I thought that was really interesting because you know, just like what you said, Lauren. While the rich were the first off the boat, it really was women and children because, at eighty-seven million in nineteen twelve, I don't, I don't think it gets much richer than that. So
1: I found he actually was recovered on April twenty-second. Um, oh, it oh, was wow. identified by the initial soon on the label of his jacket. Um, quote Gosh. among items found on him was a golden pocket watch, which his son Vincent claimed to wear the rest of his life. Um, he was number one hundred and twenty-four.
0: Dang, that's a long time to be in the water.
1: Yes. Um, and they say that he looked crushed, but his features were un. Harmed. Whatever that means. His face probably.
0: I guess that's some consolation. Yeah, it still looked good. Still identifiable. So I guess. Yeah. Some 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 dark humor for you.
1: Yeah. Um cool. Yeah, so for popular culture, as we know, there are movies, there are poems, there are books, there's so much stuff on this ship the first uh the first film or first popular culture item in general of the titanic actually released 29 days after the sinking it was called saved from the titanic and it was starring dorothy gibson who had been on the ship and was aboard one of the lifeboats
0: I'm, um, surprised. I'm surprised she would be willing to like do that and that something like PTSD wouldn't kick in or
1: Right. I wonder like some weird coping mechanism.
0: Could be. Could be. Um
1: I have a picture of the like poster for it and it's called Save from the Titanic declares exclusive extra, a startling story of the sea's greatest tragedy by Miss Dorothy Gibson, a survivor. Uh, she is supported by a powerful cast, six color and gold posters, Harold's photos, a film without parallel. So, literally not even a month goes by and there's already a movie about it. Um, okay, I have to ask have you guys all seen the movie? And I mean, oh, I don't know if you can hear my cat, but she's telling the world she has seen the movie and she loves Kate Winslet.
0: I have seen the movie, but uh, I hate it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the casting was great. Like, I think the casting, you know, was spot on and amazing. It's just not my thing. I don't know why, because like I came when this movie came out, I was old enough to like n- know what was going on. I was in I was eight years old, I think. So everybody in school had watched it. And I remember like a couple of weeks after it came out, I, when it came on a video, not when it came out in theater, um, I rented it from, you know, shout out to Blockbuster. My parents and I, we rented VHR-S's. it. Two uh, yes, yes. Yep. The two VHSs. Uh, and I even have a copy of it. That's the two VHSs still. <laughs> um, I watched it once. I, you know, I watched it as a kid. I liked it. I saw the hype. Every girl in my class, myself included, had a crush on Leo. Um, But as I got older, like every time it comes on TV or people talk about it, I'm just like, nah. Meh, that's fair. I think for me, I don't have cable right
1: now, so if I do have, I haven't seen it in a while, but if it came across on something, I'd be like, oh, cool. Um,
0: I think I for me, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, just that last scene of the when they are playing You're My God to Thee and the ships going down,
0: it gets me every time. I think. I I think that's what it is for me is as a child I saw it and I wasn't I mean I was eight years old I didn't I just knew the ship sank but like I think seeing the story and like the depiction of the heartache and the horror of living through something like that like it's so sad and it's so tragic and terrible that I'm like I I don't want to watch. This is not that's what I want. That's fair. Watch. You turn this yeah. tragedy into a romance. That's fair. And that's fair. my and like getting older and appreciating history. That's one of my biggest gripes with this movie. Is you know if you take Kate and Leo's you know story or Kate Winslet and Leo. I don't. I forget Rose. That's her name. Rose. Rose and Jack. If you take Rose and Jack. If you take Rose and Jack's story out of the movie you know, it's, it's this, you you turn this gruesome and horrific tragedy that is human era into this mushy love story. And I get it because like, you can really get nerdy with it because the movie does kind of depict like class differences. Like it takes a lot of like gilded age, progressive era fashion and stereotypes and a lot, but a lot of it is that's what it is like a lot of it is a little stereotypical and whatnot. and I'm just like meh you, you miss the mark a little bit historically and then you know to boot it's, it's a severe tragedy that when it comes on depending on where it is I'll watch it for like five minutes and then I'm like okay <laughs> that's fair on.
2: I watched it once and that was that was it for me <laughs> It doesn't do anything for me, you know? Like I, I get the, you know, touch and no a core from the visual effects and everything. And I feel for everyone on there, but just it doesn't do anything. If it's on, it's like, all right, what's next? What's on the next channel? It's on. also I
1: mean, these days we're used to such long movies with Marvel especially, but that was like the first not first, but in for my art my generation first really long I mean it was on two VHS tapes
0: (laughs) don't don't underestimate that because like again I was eight years old but I do remember everybody talking about what a commitment it was to sit down and watch this both in the theater and at home because it was two VHSs it's is it it's either three hours or it surpasses three hours because
1: it's especially when you're a teenager it's i was eight i wasn't a teenager i was eight yeah yeah it's
0: three hours and 14 minutes yeah like today we have marvel and avatar or we have big franchises the harry potter films some of them like today it's not super uncommon to have a movie kind of branch into that three hour plus territory especially if it's like the culmination of a franchise or whatnot (laughs) but this was back then no, you're totally fine. This was back then where this was not the norm. Although I will say, side note, footnote, despite my, not hate, hate's a strong word, despite my lack of enthusiasm for the film, I had the soundtrack to the movie. James and James it is incredible.
1: That, Anthony and Indiana, I, obviously.
0: I was just going to say, I think I wore out that song for three years and to this day if I that song is on one of my playlists somewhere and every time it comes on I'm like all right we gotta let it play so yeah that's incredible James Horner
1: did the score which yep. is incredible I mean and also for the time I think the graphics are you know That's what I mean. Like the James Cameron put his whole everything into that. He
0: he did. He did. And you know, just and like I said, you know, Avatar being a three-hour you know event, the fact that he did both, you know, the graphics were on point. The the everything in the movie is such a large scale. And when you talked about the Titanic being a luxury liner, in my research, that was one of the things that I found is the advertisements didn't focus so much on the fact that it was unsinkable and more focused on this is a luxury. This is, this is a luxury cruise ship. You know, you will travel in the best of the best. And from my understanding with my research is the whole it's unsinkable thing didn't really become, you know, the tagline until after it sank because right. it became this like big irony this big ironic pun that the unsinkable ship sank, um, but yeah, no, fantastic cast, score, effects, everything, just
2: eh. yeah. What's up, Dave? Um, to add on to the luxury part that you mentioned, I mean, they specifically built this ship in order to be the smoothest ship on the sea. I mean, even to the point of the propellers being angled a certain way, where even if they're going at a decent speed, uh, it was smooth. And that's the part that the White Star really harped on was this is going to, we may not be the fastest, but we're going to be the smoothest. And if we're the smoothest, that's what people are going to want. They don't want quick, dirty, they want something slow, smooth, and easy to get to. Right.
1: Um, It's a floating.
2: Hotel. Essentially, yeah. which is what we'll yeah. have in about five years at our rate. <laughs> um, but not only that, one thing, I know we already kind of talked about the destruction of the ship, but a couple of things that I found interesting was the composition of the ship itself. The steel used, it was all made at the shipyard and everything, but they used a lot of materials like sulfur, uh, oxygen, and phosphite really brittle and hard and non-flexible materials to make the steel and stuff that doesn't survive at low temperatures. Um, so it is cold water. They're running at a decent pace. Um, so it's already fixing to be severely compromised. Um, and even that. with the double hole, because we use double holes today in our in oil liners, which even still rip apart today. Um, some have theorized, especially those who specialize in um, materials being formed, um, this was a component to the Titanic breaking apart. If there had been more elements in there that are flexible or that could withstand colder temperatures, it would have it would have been scratched up, it would have been bruised, but it would have survived until it got to New York. Um, So I think the way that it's made was also a severe component to why the ship just sunk. It wasn't just nature did it, it's man's folly that also led to it sinking. Um, I don't know if you saw this in any of yours research, but I saw something along the lines of there was iceberg reports being sent to the ship, and they ignored it. Did anyone else come across that? Yeah, yes,
1: (laughs) yes. the, like, senior radio officer, um, I have his name, Jack Phillips failed to pass along, like, clear warnings, and I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw something that the captain of the ship had a note, a nice warning note, and he just took it and put it in his pocket.
0: So one of the big things that I've come across in my research um is that multiple ships including from my understanding the SS Californian had sent out you know news reports or you know radio calls whatever that there was an iceberg I don't know what you call it cluster a field you know out there and to be alert and the Titanic kind of just blatantly ignored it. They don't know why Um, that, that, that's what, that is what my research said, you know, it's unclear or unknown as to why the Titanic ignored those reports, but they did. And we keep saying that it was going at a decent speed. I actually have the speed that it was traveling at. So it was traveling at 22 knots or what is the equivalent to 15 miles per hour. So not like, crazy, but enough to, like, if you've ever been in a car accident, or if you've ever driven and unfortunately hit something, 15 miles per hour is a pretty good clip to mess up your car or to do some serious damage if you're gonna scrape something. I actually have no experience, fun fact.
1: But, especially with a ship that size, I mean, she's got, she's fake with two C's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That, you know, it's gonna take it's, a while to
1: slow that thing down.
0: The th- well, and that's that is it. The 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 blatant ignoring, and the lack of ability to move that kind of a vessel quickly, be it to turn it to kind of change direction or you know whatnot. Um, I feel bad. I I kind of like stole the mic from Dave. Um, why don't you finish up? Because I what I'm about to say, I can like end up taking off into my research, but I stole the mic from you, so I don't want to do that. Oh, no, you're good. I mean, I was,
2: but the size of, do the size, and it pulling things in already because it was that big. It's already one of the largest moving vehicles on the planet when it's launched. Um, And even its uh, two sibling ships are not as big. As the Titanic. Like, when the Olympia is done, like, the Titanic is already, you know, it's it's bigger already. So, it was moving too quick. It didn't have time to slow down, ignore the warnings. Um, From what I could gather about the captain, the captain was used to having his own way. He was nicknamed the millionaire's captain because he's boated a lot of millionaire ships prior. So I think with that comes a, a little bit of arrogance. I know what I'm doing, so that could probably also play a factor here. Um. So I think all that culmination led to disaster, which is the Titanic not taking warnings into effect, cutting corners, or doing something well beyond your means of doing. There's three million rivets in the ship, all done by hand, none of those rivets were strong enough to take any of the damage that it sustained. Um, So I think it was super ambitious, but the technology was just nowhere remotely close to being able to make that happen.
0: Well, that, and I think to take it one step further, I think the lack of strong materials used, like one of the things that all three of our research notes hit on was the multiple confirmed reports of weakened steel that you know s- steel already gets brittle in cold conditions. The fact that it's not a strong quality grade steel, it it it's it's that it's that Gilded Age notion of cutting corners and it's very it's very stereotypical, but unfortunately in this situation. This is one of those situations where the stereotype holds up because whoever's making decisions on the building of the ship, the architect, the ship designer, or whoever, you're, you, they know they're using low quality steel because the amount that they're ordering, they probably didn't want to pay for it. Not pay for it, pay for that much.
2: Got to cut corn somewhere and we're going to have doubles. We're going to have double holes. Double holes will catch it. We're good. Gucci. right what's the worst that's gonna happen
0: hey, that's laugh you, yeah and literally god that's laughs. what you think yeah literally god laughs
1: but yeah and i think it's so interesting um there was a Reader's digest article it was pretty quick um by kelly bryant um it was titled very bluntly why are we still so fascinated by the titanic and they say, quote, a uh, Titanic historian, he is the head of the Titanic Historical Society, uh, said, it's interesting because most people are more interested in why it's
0: safe than what life was like on board. See, I am the complete opposite. I want to know, if I could be like a fly on the wall, I would love to be, but yeah.
1: But I understand what they're saying because every now and then you get a tidbit of like oh yeah Titanic had a swimming pool it had a basketball court it had this and was just like wait what because you think of big boat in ocean (laughs) like trying to think of the ideas of those bad um low quality materials and why did it hit the tide the iceberg and why didn't so and so get there in time like the aftermath
0: well, this is, like you said, this is 1912. Now we have cruise ships that are like floating theme parks in the water. Um, for 1912, yeah, the fact that the boat has a swimming pool and tennis courts and basketball courts, it's, it's mind-blowing. Um, if you've ever seen sample menus of like dinner that they have found or even the stuff, if you've ever watched a good documentary about the stuff that they have pulled from the wreckage, it's fascinating. Like the, the the sinking is fascinating, but to even just and and I don't know about you guys, but when I think of this, I have to remind myself that they were only on the ship for like three, two, what two or three days before it sunk
1: yeah I mean, they were barely on there like they're on like the greatest luxurious biggest ship in the world world. I'
0: for, mean, like that's half a, a second yeah, like that's a big mental turnaround to go from we're on this you know luxury ocean liner that is the safest, most luxurious uh, travel accommodations that we can have to this is how we die. <laughs> Right like
1: last night i was eating dinner and the quartet was playing and i was having these amazing drinks and now they're playing as i'm like drifting off into the ocean
0: the ocean like, and and again i should drama. give i should give credit to james cameron because maybe i'm being a little hard on him some of the visualizations cuz like the the whole second half of the movie is the sinking and some of those visual depictions of the chaos And the horror, I think that's why the film doesn't sit well with me is because he he did a good job delivering on those things. It's unsettling to
2: watch. Absolutely. My big thing is the Titanic is a perfect representation of the Gilded Age. You know, you have all this beautiful pictures, this picturesque version of the Titanic, but underneath all of that, you have things that have cut corners, things that are not as strong as they're supposed to be. And at it leads to his downfall, which if we're taking it from sort of the Gilded Age perspective or historian perspective. That's a lot of metaphors for what's going on even during that time period.
0: So I wish I had enough historical training in this field to argue against what Dave had just said. The I mean, who I'm doing my thesis with, We were having a conversation one day about... Gilded Age representation in media, television, and movies. And her her ending comment on the conversation was, "Don't get me started on the Titanic." <laughs> and I, I really, I really wish that we had continued that conversation because that would have been great to get her insight on this. You know, I'd to love to tonight. hear her
1: reaction to this. Um, I this really, I episode. want to
0: now. I wanted to in general. She had to go somewhere, and I had to go somewhere, so that was how we left it. Future but- episode future episode but um to go back to stereotypes when i when you think about gilded age stereotypes and this is this is in the 19 this is in the 20th century this is in early uh 1900s 1906 but when you think about stereotypes and cutting corners one of the things that always comes to my mind is the book the jungle by upton sinclair which do you guys know what that book is yes it's on the bucket list to read Okay, so for those of you out there who do not know what The Jungle is, The Jungle is a fictional work by Upton Sinclair about the Chicago meatpacking industry in the early 1900s. And even though it's a work of fiction, it was um, inspired and heavily drawn upon uh, from news reports from muckrackers or muckrakers. I don't know how you pronounce it. So I excuse my pronunciation, but those were muck the Rakers. early muckrakers, thank you. Those were the early forerunners to what we have uh as investigative journalists today. So Upton Sinclair wrote this book based on news articles and word of mouth stories. So you want to talk about cutting corners. There is there is nothing that comes to my mind more when you talk about cutting quarters in an industry than in that book. Um, I have not read it either. It's on the list, but I've, I've uh, heard about it. And I, I did a little work on like a plot synopsis with it in a project that I used for uh, a paper that I did. So I know enough about it. So stereotypes are those things where sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. But yeah, so what I had looked at was um I had first tried to look into survivor accounts, but there were so many and they came from really varied sources that unfortunately due to the time of the year with the end of the semester and whatnot I didn't have time to like comb through these the way I would feel comfortable so instead I found a really good really interesting article that kind of touches more on some of the stuff that Lauren was talking about with the SS Californian and I found a article from the industrial and environmental crisis quarterly from 1994 through um, a platform called JSTOR, which I'll send to Lauren and I'll have her upload it in the show notes. And it's exploring the myth, the sinking of the Titanic. And it's by a gentleman by the name of Dennis Smith. And he kind of looks at it from a crisis management point of view. He talks about how if the ship had instead hit the iceberg head on, it would have like crumpled. The front is the bow right yeah there's living in, there's living where we live come into play if if the ship had hit if if the bow had hit the iceberg as opposed to trying to turn it you know he hypothesizes that yes while it would have crumpled and sustained damage it would not have resulted in the ship sinking um but then he goes into and he he debates a little bit more with the crisis management how Everything from the captain hearing that icebergs were in the the area and ignoring that all the way to the SS Californian not acting quick enough, be it a purposeful or unpurposeful thing. It was all it's it it was all a mismanagement issue that had things happened differently, this would not have been this catastrophe. But then what really caught the historian's attention was he goes into kind of like a historiography in the second half of his article and he's comparing two books. One of them basically says that everything is the SS Californians fault. They, you know, they're, they're the bad guys. They took forever to get there. And there's a thousand and one reasons why they, you know, they didn't get there in time. It was negligence. And then there's another book that he presents that I don't want to say is less biased, but even he says it when he's talking about it. The first book sounds very biased, whereas the second book, the first book that he talks about is The Ship That Stood Still, Victim or Villain, by, i so sorry, I'm going to butcher this, by Reed and DeGroote. DeGroote? Read into Groot. So basically they're they're they even he says it in their uh synopsis, not synopsis in their analysis of this event, they sound very biased, whereas the second book that he looks at is a Titanic myth, scapegoat or culprit by someone named Harrison. That's all he just says is Harrison. Um, this book, kind of gives a little more leeway to the captain captain lord of the ss californian and basically says that even if they responded quickly which i guess there's a reason he didn't they 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 put less pressure on him and they basically say that even if the ss californian had responded due to distance time conditions in the water there's no way that the Californian would have gotten there in time. And so yeah, so it's a little little bit hypothesis and whatnot. But again, I'll throw that up there because I, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't comb, I didn't go through this with sort a of fine tooth comb. I, I scanned it, but it is here, it's got some great references, and then something else I will throw up there that is much more fun is I found a article also on JSTOR from the journal of adolescent and adult literacy from 1999 it's called all aboard the titanic character journals are just the tip of the iceberg uh it's basically a classroom teacher talking about how she did a lesson on the titanic due to student demand and like student interest at the time when the film came out and For anybody out there who is a Titanic enthusiast, I don't know if any of these websites are still up or whatever, because this article is from 1999, but she has a resource guide list of literature and other media and websites and videotapes. So, I mean, the internet's a big place. If you guys are interested in this, there's some great fun resources. And especially the way she did this assignment was she... Gave the students, I don't know if they picked it or if she gave it to them, basically a person to study and like they had to find out who their person was, what like class of the ship they were on, if the person was a worker, what was their job, like a little bit about their life before the ship and then basically compile it and presented to the class but she she takes it one step further in her lesson where when the students are kind of like going through this and reenacting this she actually divides the class i think at one point and be like you lived you made it in the boat you died and like it gets kind of like eerie when she talks about like their reactions of like seeing the disproportionate of how many people were on one side of the room versus the other so again not not super uh, what what we're doing, but just just kind of listening to how this teacher did this assignment and the resources she used, I liked it. I thought it was interesting, and I'll pass that one along to you as well, Lauren. Awesome, yeah. And I
1: will say, I also found um, National Geographic has an awesome link through their like education resources on Titanic. Um, it's not so much just an article about what happened. I mean they have a very short synopsis but then they have like an interactive timeline and they have maps and sh- you know things like that which if we can't find the websites that were up in the 90s then we can use those for something right. very similar.
0: And then I'm pretty sure I I don't I don't know how um how much they have but there's there's an official Titanic museum in Ireland
1: yeah, there's also one in, like,
0: the Midwest. I think there's something in Georgia. Which it's is really weird. In, I think yeah. there's something in Georgia. There's, like, this walkthrough thing you can do. I think um, Springfield, Massachusetts also has something. Really? Of all places. But why? So, who knows? Oh, the, the Titanic, Titanic
1: Historical Society is in Springfield, Massachusetts.
0: There we go.
2: Because why there not? There we
0: go. Uh, one of my professors uh, was telling me because she's been a couple of times because uh, she's she's back and forth between Europe and America and the States quite a bit. But she was telling me she just recently went again to the Titanic Museum. And one of the things they have that she uh, that stuck with me when she talked about it is they I guess they have like a little pool or tank, lack of better word, something where you can stick your hands in Mm -hmm. the water and feel how cold it would have been and she said like it it, she said it's jarring she's like there's nothing that can compare prepare you for it like you think it's cold and then you stick your hand in there and you're like oh wow it's really cold (laughs) for hours yeah for uh, and that's what she said she's like you know really really puts it in perspective of what's sitting in a lifeboat or you know unfortunately sitting in the water for hours felt like
1: right that's
0: cool i bet it's in belfast hmm. but yeah i know lauren you had said that you were team uss california was the victim i don't know based on that article there are some I'll things to like read if you it. read yeah you have to read it but the way he presents it i don't know they they could have been the scapegoat victim that's true i mean there were a lot
1: of hubris and human error there mm. i think they also had their
0: role in it they did cuz that was that it's confirmed it's it's been confirmed that they ignored the rockets that were sent off because i guess that was another thing in 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 addition to the multiple radio calls they also sent up like rocket flares. They sent yeah. up like eight, eight of them, I think. So they they ignored those. They did not go back to the radios for whatever reason. So they they were laxadaisy in response, but I think even outside of that, there's things that were also outside of their control because I read something that the whatever company they were sailing under the way the ships in that company communicated was through rocket flares to -hmm. let them know that that was another ship from the company. So I, they said it was possible that there could have been a misinterpretation of signals, but then another book, you know, because he's talking about these two books, you know, one book says there could have been a misinterpretation. The other book is like, heck no. How do you misinterpret rocket flares and radio chatter? So it's one of those things that you may never. Yeah.
1: Do. I mean, also, if I was in that situation, I could not even imagine what I would do.
0: I don't, I don't On even want to get, Yeah.
1: Any, any perspective any of this disaster at yeah, any, any level.
0: level. It's such so, a tragedy and it's so, so scary to think about what you would do in that situation.
1: Right. Especially because I, you know, a lot of people um, kind of use the lucid, use the Lusitania as a comparison, mm-hmm. but it's just, I mean, it's comparing apples and oranges in my oranges. opinion. Yeah. Because it's different.
0: It was a peacetime One, disaster, but you know. Yeah. Okay. The country wasn't at war. Right. The world, the world, I should say, wasn't at war. Yeah, and it, it was wasn't
1: a- man versus, I mean, man had something to do with it, of course. Right. But I don't, I mean, Lusitania Lusitania was was
0: attacked.
1: It it was, was but it was attacked.
0: That was a deliberate man, that was a man decision to attack them.
1: Right, you can go back in the records and see what happened, why, when. And then with the Titanic, there's just so much unknown. There's so many factors, but at the end of the day, the ship hit the iceberg and it went down. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's yeah that's Make a long story short level that ship yeah. went down that ship went down there well, was I'm nothing that short, anybody could do I think I think the sheer level of tragedy just is what keeps humans coming back and the fact that it was like so much went wrong and so little I mean like Two I think hours. they said yeah like the they said like the ship hit the iceberg at 12 45 in the morning by 2 30 a.m the boat is gone and you're talking about a mammoth it's not, no it's like not, it's not like it's a, a rowboat or anything you're talking about a mammoth sized ship yeah because i was looking at
1: articles like i basically googled why is titanic so popular <laughs> and there was one article that by stephen cox why the titanic fascinates more than others through cnn And this was published in 2012, like a lot of things were, uh, with the 100th anniversary. And he's trying to answer that question, why is the Titanic so fascinating to people when things like the Lusitania are not? And so I'm just going to quote here. And it says, you know, the reason why it's so fascinating and why people keep coming back is The Titanic sank in two hours and 40 minutes, the length of a classic play. Its cast of characters include people of every rank, station, and personality. The cast was large enough to represent the human race, yet small enough to form a self-contained society in which individuals could see what other individuals were doing and think carefully about their own responses. The Titanic had what every great drama needs, a relentless focus on the supreme choices of individual lives. And I think that just wraps up the story of the Titanic perfectly.
2: Agreed. Well, on that cheerful note, thank you all so very much for tuning into this episode. We know it's been a second. We appreciate all the patience. Uh, Last month was wild for all of us. Uh, So sorry for the delay, but we will always produce. So uh, we appreciate all of our listeners and the support that we've received. Please continue to rate, download, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It's a small and simple thing you can do to help us out in a very big way. If you like to interact with us, there are several different ways you can do that. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Operation Hist. You can also shoot us an email, Operation History Podcast at gmail.com, or you can review us on our website, Operation History WordPress.com. All of the sources and the show notes from this episode will be uploaded when the episode is ready. Thank you all for joining us, and this is Operation History, signing off this month. <değilding to school>